The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Revelation chapter number three. We'll, we'll save that for another time. I'm thankful you can go to about anywhere in the hymnal and sing praises to the Lord. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Revelation chapter number three. And it does, it does I, I personally feel this, but it is a, a burden on my heart that, uh, that we give praise to the Lord. And I personally feel uh, you, you get pressed in these days, you get pressed, and we're going from this to that, and you know it is important that we that we learn to give praise, that we practice giving praise to the Lord, and so I so appreciate you sharing those things tonight, and I encourage you to continue thinking about that. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you um, I, I'm praying that the Lord will give direction tonight, and uh, as we always do, but uh, this is as you know the last letter uh, to the churches, but it's it's. There's no easy way through this letter, right? And uh, I just ask that you have an open heart and that we together as a church receive this letter from the Lord and then allow the Lord to minister and grow us and in, in many ways turn up the heat in our own hearts uh, toward him. So as we read this, let's just read it uh, as from Jesus Christ to, to us, to us personally, and let's receive it from him tonight. And unto the angel, the church of Laodicea, Write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold, uh, cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's read that last verse together. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's be seated and pray. Our Father, tonight, we recognize that this letter that we have just read is to a real church miles and miles away and years and years away from us in time. 
But Lord, you have preserved your word. You promised to do that. And today in this year, we read this letter that you have given to us that you wanted us to see. And Lord, I ask that in my own heart and in the heart of these, my friends, that we would receive this letter and that we would take heed to it. And Lord, that you would turn up the spiritual temperature uh, as we would respond to your word tonight. Lord, I am reminded in... I say nothing to you. I'm reminded all around us is a, a, a casualness that has swept over the church in America. Lord, we, we've taken a, a, a back seat to much of the sin and corruption that's going on in culture. And Lord, we have many ways of rationalizing that. Lord, it, it seems that if we would have been hot all along as a church that we would have seen a much different day in our, in, our, in our culture. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us here at Grace Baptist Church, not just the churches around America, but us here at Grace Baptist Church and the members of Grace Baptist Church, Lord, to be hot for you. And so we ask for your liberty tonight, and I ask for clarity, and I ask that you would motivate us forward for your sake. Now, Lord, we need your strength, and so we pray for that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, as we come to this letter, it is the final letter, as I've said, but it's a letter that, uh, that really has a, uh, quite a feel to it. It's strong, it's, uh, it's weighty, it's, it's, it's with burdened heart that Jesus gives us to the church there at Laodicea. Laodicea is on the road to Colossae. It's about 40 miles uh, southeast of Philadelphia. Uh, it about 35 years before this letter was written, Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. What was interesting about it is uh, that they had completely rebuilt. It was a city that was very, very well-to-do, and so they actually were, uh, if you can think of a person that's self-insured, not because they uh, just don't want to deal with insurance, but because they have the means to be self-insured, this city was that type of city. It was so well-to-do that they were self um, they were self-insured against a complete uh, act of God that destroyed the city. And uh, what, an amazing, what an amazing place it must have been. I can't imagine walking down the streets of Laodicea and seeing many of the newer buildings and newer architecture throughout that city uh, that, that had been rebuilt after that, after that uh, earthquake. And even now that this church was there that Jesus is writing to is in the midst of a city that, that just has a, a wealthy mindset. And if you can kind of frame that, uh, a, a well-to-do mindset, you can think of maybe a, a gated community. I can think of uh, sometimes when I've been over into California and uh, driving up the, uh, up the ocean side and seeing some of the very well-to-do uh, areas of town and then getting into some of those well-to-do areas of town and, and, and even experiencing a little bit of a, a different attitude towards, uh, towards people and towards others, kind of a, 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 a little bit of a, an arrogant or a, a lifted up mindset set towards others uh, uh, around. And, and so you can imagine Laodicea was this type of city, just very, very well-to-do. Its main industry was the wool industry, wool clothing, and hence why Jesus would, uh, would say to them, hey, uh, you who have 
clothing everywhere. You have it on the, on the streets and on racks and everywhere around you, and you're selling it and you're making your money off of it. I counsel you to have white raiment that, that, would, uh, that you would clothe yourself with, and they had even different colors of, of raiment. Uh, and Jesus says, no, I want you to have white raiment and, uh, and uh, prioritize that. And so there's no record that Paul ever visited this city. There does seem to be, according to uh, Colossians 4 and verse number 16 and 17, it seems that there might have been uh, an acquaintance that Paul had there in the city, perhaps, um, perhaps Archippus, uh, some think the son of, uh, of Philemon, a wealthy convert in Colossae. And, and Paul writes to Archippus and tells him to take heed of his ministry that the Lord had given him and fulfill it. And some, some believe that Archippus was actually the pastor of the city of, uh, of the church there in Laodicea and that Paul was admonishing him to take heed, to take it seriously and fulfill the ministry that God had given him uh, in, uh, there in that city. So regardless of who the pastor is, Jesus is writing to the angel, to the pastor there, the church of Laodicea, and he writes to them uh, in a very stern way, uh, a way that is not aloof. Uh, 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 he writes in a, in a way as a counselor coming alongside and saying, hey, I'm going to counsel you. This is the way back. This is what I want you to, um, to do to get out of the mess that you have found yourself in. And Jesus does care for the temperature of his church. Jesus does care for the temperature of Grace Baptist Church. And you hear on a, a Sunday night, Jesus cares about the spiritual temperature that you have before him. And by the way, he knows your spiritual temperature. Uh, he knows the temperature of your relationship between you and God. And we could take a, one of those thermometers. How many of you have found that even through this time of COVID that those uh, infrared thermometers are sometimes a bit worthless? Right, you go in the doctor's office and it's it's the same week after week after week, and and even the doctor's saying, I don't think this thing's working. And we found even in using them, they 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 seem to be um, to misread, not very accurate. But I'll tell you what, God never misreads our temperature. He knows the temperature of my heart tonight, and that's a that's a moving and motivating thing to think that God knows the temperature of my heart. Now we don't have to look at this as all negative. Jesus comes to them, and his uh, his reason for exposing sin or their their uh, coolness in their temperature or their lukewarmness was so that they could come back. Jesus always is working in our life to restore us. Remember, He is my Shepherd who restores my soul. And so he's always working to bring us back. Ye which are overtaken in a fall, uh, ye which are spiritual, restore them in a spirit, uh, uh, in the, in a, in a uh, spirit of meekness. And I'm misquoting that Galatians chapter six and verse number one. We're to restore. It's not to, uh, we're not to notice people and they have a fa uh, fault and just kind of criticize it. No, we're, we that are spiritual are to restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. Is always restoration. What was his heart for Laodicea? Restoration, restoration. But as in every passage, every letter that Jesus has written, he has written to, uh, to them and first revealed himself to them in a way that they needed to see Jesus. And tonight, as he reveals himself in verse number 14, he reveals in a very specific way to this church and reveals himself as having an exalted position. He reveals himself in this um, verse number 14. Look at it with me. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And I want you to notice that Jesus first reveals himself to this church at Laodicea as the one whose word is supreme over all. 
You know, sometimes we, we go along and we say something and, and we'll, say, we'll say it very emphatically and then we'll end it with saying, period. And that means there's no more discussion, there's no more debate about this. this, this what I have just said settles it. Once in a while, I use that with my children, period. There's no, there's to be no more fighting, period. Uh, sometimes they violate that too, right? You know how that goes. But I want us to think about this, this matter of the amen as kind of like that, that statement, period. So be it. Now, when we say amen in here, it is a, it is a matter of acknowledging the truth of what is, uh, what is said. So be it. Yep, that settles it. What God has said, what, what is God is revealing, what God is teaching us right now, we agree with, so be it. And it has the idea of the unchangeable truths of his promises. We find in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20, for all the promises of God in Jesus or in him are yea and in him amen. So be it under the glory of God by us. So when he is revealing himself to Laodicea, he is saying, I'm the so be it. I'm it. My word trumps everything. After me, there is no other word. It's, it's done. And as we learned this morning, John 1 and verse number 1 in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he says in John 17, thy word is truth. It is so be it. It's final. And so he reveals himself to the Laodiceans as the one who has unchangeable truth or is unchangeable truth. We uh, look around us today, there's so much distrust of the media all around us. Why? Because we've caught them in lies over and over and over again. And the public is tired of it. But we'll never catch Jesus in a lie. He is, so be it. He is, amen. Everything with him is true. It is unchangeably true. And he says, I am the amen. These things saith capital the amen i am the so be it. i'm the final word i'm it there's no other um, place to look for in fact when jesus asked his disciples are you gonna are you gonna leave too and what did peter say where, where shall we go we we don't have anywhere else to go and they said right where do we go no you're you're it lord you're it he says the faithful and true witness the truth of his revelation as to the heavenly things which he has seen and testifies. I want you to think about this. Think of Jesus as a witness. That's what he's described as here, the faithful and true witness. The one who is faithful and true in all of his witnessing. 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God, Timothy, who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession he witnessed accurately in front of uh, uh, in front of Pilate what was one of the things that that Pilate asked what is truth what is truth what did Jesus show is truth he is truth what did he show when um, Pilate asked are are you the kings of the Jews well you said it you said that is it and, and is that what you've heard in public or is that what you're coming up with yourself Pilate and he witnessed a good confession in front of Pilate he witnessed the truth one man said these th three things are necessary for uh, one to be a good witness to have seen with his own eyes what he attests to number two to be competent to relate it to others number three to be willingly or willingly, truthfully to do so in a willing way to be truthful in how he does. And Jesus does all 
free of those things. He is the perfect witness, and when he stands up and declares his word, when he preached on the seashores of Galilee, he perfectly witnessed to the truth of heavenly things. That is our God. And so when Jesus is preaching to these, these folks through this letter, he's saying, listen, I am the amen, I am the so be it. My word is unchangeable, it is unchanging truth, and I am the witness that brings it to you, and I am faithful and true. There is no arguing with me. Other witnesses might be crooked, but I'm not. Others might attest the things of God in a crooked way and to their own advantage, but I do not. Everything I say is absolutely true and must be heeded. The Laodicean city, as a culture, seems to have been given over to the idea of multiple truths. Your truth and my truth, which is an idea that we have today. In that, we uh, see uh, the city of Laodicea, um, means the rule of the people. The rule of the people. Was a, it was a mentality, uh, my way is what, what matters. And it was that kind of mob rule mentality there in the city. Very, very individualistic and, uh, and individualistic even concerning truth and what, what matters and how things go. And what, what we need to understand about this, and as Wearsby says, it, it suggests that, that, that the church had imbibed, as Jesus presents himself as his truth being above all things and being supreme over everything they think and everything they see in culture and all their experiences, he helps the church to understand that they need to come to grips with the fact that it isn't their word against Christ's word, his word trumps it all. They had gotten to a little bit of a democratic mindset in the church that no longer followed spiritual leaders, no, nor longer uh, submitted to the authority of God's word. And Jesus presents himself in front of them as the one who is the sobia in the faithful and true witness. One of our Baptist distinctives, in fact, the first Baptist distinctive is biblical authority. Why? Because if we don't have that, we have nothing. We have your word against mine. If this is not the authority, if Jesus is not the amen and the faithful and true witness who is revealed right here, we have no reason to gather together tonight. You're wasting your time. And he presents himself to this church who had become very individualistic in their thinking, you know, hey, what do you think? What do you think? And we'll get together and we'll come up with an idea or this is the way the mob's ruling and this is, this is going to be the way things run. No, he says, no, 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 no. I'm the amen. I'm the sobia. I'm the period at the end of the sentence and I am the faithful and true witness. Listen to me. And so we find here Jesus' word, the word of Christ is supreme over all our thoughts, over all our words, over all of our traditions, over all of our practices, every time, every time. It's not my way that matters. In fact, I, I once in a while I hear a believer read something in scripture and they'll say, I don't agree with it. That stumps me. But I'll tell you that is, that is our generation. We have come to debate the Word of God. The Word of God many times is not the final authority, and even in churches just like ours, it's not the final authority, and even sometimes within our church, it's not the final authority. But Jesus says, this is it. I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. May we never have a heart. I don't agree with that. No, if God's Word says it, it's final. It's amen. Amen. And we, we must go that way. So, the uh, standard by which you and I are going to be held accountable is the Word of God. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the books that will be open. One of those books is the, the Word of God. This is the, the, the standard by which we will be judged. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10 says we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of who? 
Christ, who is the written, he is the living word, and he is going to be the one who judges us or holds us accountable. And so it is the word that is going to hold us. And Jesus says, I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness, which, by the way, at the end of time, you will be held accountable and judged by. Jesus is supreme. His word is supreme. His word is authoritative in the church. It's not your word against my word. It's his word. What does his word say? Ultimately, we gather together to find out what the word of God says to you and me. Christ is sovereign himself before all. He doesn't just say my word, my word is above all. It's supreme, but he himself is sovereign because notice it says the beginning of the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God. <laughs> he existed before we did. Uh, he existed in eternity past. He was there at creation. And the Bible says, Colossians 1 and verse number 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or uh, all things were created by him and for him. And what did Pilate ask? Are you the king? You remember one of the things that that Jesus said to Pilate, you'd have no authority, but, um, but that was given to you by God. He's the creator of all these things. We need to remember that. He's the creator of all these things, and in a moment, he can take them. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things are held together. You know what? He has sovereign control over it all. He is the sovereign that rules over it all. He created it. He owns it. He bought the church. He owns it. I want us to just understand he is sovereign before all, and that's what he's getting at as he reveals to the church, listen, my word is above all. I personally have control over all, and now let me say some things to you, church, my church that I've bought with my own blood. Wow. Now, I don't know how they, they read that first letter. I don't know how it went when they, they heard that letter for the first time. I would hope inside of their hearts as they, they sat or stood and listened to it, they're like, you know, we better listen. We better listen. And I would hope that that would be our same response even tonight as we, as we think about the loftiness of our Savior. We better listen. He sees it all, friends. He sees our Mondays. He sees our Thursdays. He sees it all. And here we have this church that is a visible local representation of Christ within the community of Laodicea. And they had lost sight of their purpose there. And I want us to think about it because Jesus immediately gets to their works. He says in verse number 15, I know thy works. I know thy works. We heard that last week with Philadelphia. I know thy works. And he immediately got into a commendation. But here he immediately gets into dealing with the issues that he saw with them. And here's a church in the middle of that community. They were supposed to represent Christ to that community. They were to be a, a lighthouse to that community. They were to be salt and light in that community. In their job places, everywhere they went. They were to be that for Christ. They're the living, breathing, physical a visible, local representation of Christ there in that community, and yet they weren't. And I want us to remind us of what the Bible says in Colossians 1 and verse 18, after it tells us he is before all things, he's created all things, by him all things consist. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church, the head, the authority, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
the first to rise from the dead, that in all things, what? He might have the preeminence. Do you know who had the preeminence in, uh, in the church of Laodicea? All the different members. Their thoughts. The way they, they thought things ought to go and, and the way their, their own experiences led them. They were preeminent. They had lost sight of the fact that they existed in that community to lift up Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as their head, is coming to them saying, I'm the amen, I'm the faithful and true witness, I was here before you were. Isn't that how kids do it? I'm older than you. Jesus, Jesus has us all, right? He was here before us. He created us. And he says, I, I have something to say to you, and I wanted you to notice how he describes the ineffective condition of this church. Verse number 15, notice they were self-satisfied. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Now, I would. Here's what he's saying. I, I, I really wish that you'd make a decision that you get off the fence. I, I really wish you'd go one way or the other, that you would either be cold and all cold, icy cold, or that you'd be blazing hot. I really wish this was the case, but it's not the case. So then, because thou art lukewarm, think about this cold and hot. Cold, unbelieving dead, lifeless, not life-giving for certain, cold. You know you've been around a cold person, not in physical temperature, but a cold person. Boy, it's a hard thing. You don't talk. It's a hard thing. Cold person. That's hard. They're not life-giving. They're not encouraging. It's, they're cold. He says, you, you're not cold. You're not that. You're not hot either. You're not dynamic. You're not vibrant. You're not growing in your relationship with God. I, I really wish that you were one or the other. I wish that you were, would take a side here. You know, waffling in the middle. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He says, you're lukewarm. Why did Jesus say they were lukewarm? Why did he choose this? In every one of these letters, he's choosing things that would make sense to them. By the way, the way he reveals and gives his word to us is in ways that, that speak to us where we are. He says, uh, you're lukewarm. Why did he say that? It's interesting. This rebuke would have been specially meaningful to this church for water was piped in to the city from Hierapolis a few miles north. By the time the water reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. It was, it was known as a place where there was hot springs, but by the time it came down into the city, it was lukewarm. They didn't have a fresh water supply down there in the city, so they had to build an aqueduct to get the water down there, about six miles away as I understand it. And so by the time that water came in, it was lukewarm. Not hot, not cold, just kind of gross. Not refreshing on a hot summer day. Kind of nasty. Like, ugh. You imagine them sitting around the, uh, the, um, where the water supply came in and, and taking drinks of that and, and, and complaining about that in town. Oh, this water. I wish we, could, you know, I wish we had a way of making this so that it would, uh, would be cooler coming down here. I wish we could have water from Colossae. Oh, the cold water up in Colossae. I wish we could have that. It's too far away. We have to settle for this lukewarm water. You know, Jesus says, you're like that. You're just like that water that supply that comes in town. Lukewarm, you all don't like it, and that's how I feel about you. 
Not that I want to I want to cancel you as my, my children. This is how I feel about your Christianity. Wow. So Jesus uses this object lesson right there within the, uh, in the city. Uh, another author put it this way. Uh, Jesus said to Laodicea is neither cold like the, the cold pure waters from Colossae nor hot like the therapeutic hot spring water of Hierapolis. Uh, Laodicea was lukewarm and provides neither refreshment for the spiritually weary nor healing for the spiritually sick. That was them. So what's this lukewarm? What's Jesus getting at? What's the picture here? Yeah, so we're, t- uh, we're talking about a temperature that no one really likes. It's not refreshing water. But what does this have to do with their Christianity? What does this have to do with their relationship with God and their functioning as a church body? The idea of this lukewarmness is they were a church that had gotten to the point where they weren't cold, they weren't totally against God, and they weren't hot, vibrant, chasing after God. They were just kind of in the middle here. I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't really need any more. I don't need more, uh, more God. I, I, I'm good right where I am. I don't need to pray more. I'm good right where I am. I don't really have anything to pray about. I'm really pretty good. I'm, I'm just good where I am. One author put it this way. The essence of lukewarmness is saying, I don't need it. I need nothing. I have enough of Jesus. I've walked the aisle one day. He came into my heart. I have him. I don't need anything. The lukewarm are spiritually self-satisfied. Beware of being spiritually self-satisfied. Beware of the weeks and the week after week where you go on and it doesn't seem like God's really doing anything in your heart or that you're not and not having a moment where, with God, a, a personal moment with God where he's moving you forward and you're meeting with him in a personal way. Lukewarmness is not describing a person who was cold and is becoming hot. Rather, it is someone who is left off being hot. It's like the springs from Hierapolis, the, the water coming down from Hierapolis. It came in therapeutically hot and was meant to help people and to give therapy and help people along. But by the time it came down, it had cooled off and it got into that awful lukewarm. You don't like a lukewarm bath, do you? No. Uh, this week, I have a picture of it, but my uh, two daughters love going down into our... Um, our furnace room, and we have an elliptical down there, and I, I had, I, it was, I don't know, early in the morning, I, I, I was getting a shower, and there was not really hot water, it wasn't cold, but it would be well described as lukewarm, it was just, it was there, and so I quickly got through the shower, and, and I was like, I can't believe those turkeys, they, they went back in there, and they, they shut the hot water heater off again, and sure enough, I go back there, and I took a picture of it, and sent it to my wife, uh, sure enough, I saw baby dolls on the two steps of the ellipticals. So, men, I mean, this is right by the water heater. And they went back there, even though I have it taped. They went back there and turned, turned off the hot water, turned off the little black switch. Very easy, just swept it down. Did you do this? Yes. Why did you do this? Why? Over and over, we've, we've had this, but you know what it gives? It's lukewarm water, and it's not, it's not fun. No one likes to take a lukewarm shower. Now, that's an American thing, uh, you understand, but no, no one likes that, right? And the fact is, Jesus says, I, I don't like this. It's not that you, you are cold and becoming hot. You're on your journey there. And one way we could, we could stretch it to, to think, well, that'd be a good thing, but it's that you're hot and you are becoming cold and you're just kind of hanging out in that middle territory. I'm good. I'm good. 
I don't want to be cold like those folks, but I don't want to be hot like those. I'm just, I'm, I'm good. I'm right here. The observation is correct that this tepidness is not arising from coldness toward the boiling point, but just the opposite. It's coming away from it. Is there a point in your life that you were hot? Hotter than you are now? Boy, let's send up a red flag. Let's take some uh, time, some spiritual inventory right now and take care of that. Lord, I don't want to be coming away from hot. I don't want to be uh, losing out in my, my dynamic relationship, my vibrant relationship with you. And I want to give, and these aren't original, but I want, to, I want to give us some thoughts, some things to stir our hearts about what does it look to be lukewarm in our lives. You know, sometimes lukewarmness is uh, just in this simple fact. God is not first in my life. Uh, he gets the leftovers of my money, my time, my fellowship. He gets the leftovers of, well, you know, if I, if I have time, I'll go to church. If I, I have time, I'll fellowship with other believers. If, if I have a little bit extra, I'll give a little bit towards, uh, uh, towards that cause. But, you know, I, 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 he, I have some needs. I have some priorities. God is not first. They, we live different on Monday through Saturday than we do on Sunday. A double life. We're one thing in front of God's people. We, we know the talk. We know how to sound Christian. We know how to talk in the right way. Even as mature Christians, we can talk in a way that we don't talk in front of the, the world the rest of the week. Uh, maybe a lot of unbelieving friends. The association is hanging out with those that, that don't believe God or don't encourage us uh, spiritually and don't, uh, don't uh, hold us to account. friends would don't know that they're christian oh what a sad thing for a person to go to go to work day after day and the people there don't know they're a christian well that's news to me they go to church interesting what a sign of lukewarmness we would rather be accepted socially than reveal our christian faith some of what i spoke about this morning well, that's a need, and, and in our world, that's happening all over. It seems like churches and pe um, preachers and, and Christians are scrambling and tripping over themselves to be accepted by the culture. It's a sign of lukewarmness. The use of foul language without convic uh, conviction. Yes, believers sometimes use language and don't seem to be affected by it. Language that dishonors God, taking God's name in vain. Taking God's name in vain in a little different way than the world does. But still, decreased interest in the things of God. Not, not really a vibrant time in the Word of God. Not taking time to read the Word of God. Maybe, maybe not at all. It just, it, it's something I pull out on Sunday. It's something I pull out when I get convicted about it. But there's not really a drive. And prayer, not very much. If at all, I talk to God as, as I go along, but not very much. Even in our world today, and I trust this isn't so tonight, but I might be speaking to some who, who struggle with is the Bible truly the Word of God? Is it authoritative in my life? One of the great, great signs of lukewarmness is a person who, is, who has put their preferences and their thoughts over the Word of God. It has more authority than the Word of God. Mm, behavior is more like the world than godly. The appearance in, in every way, clothing and, and style and, 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 and the way that we carry ourselves looking more like the world than, than godly. 
don't share the faith very often, if at all. You know that if every believer alive on planet Earth today, if we each would win one person to the Lord, in about three or four years, the whole world could be evangelized. You think about that? You say that's mathematically, I don't have the mathematics here. I saw it. I took the picture. I saw the mathematics. It's unbelievable. We say, oh, it can't be done. Yeah, if we'd all just share our faith. If we'd all open our, our mouths and share Jesus Christ, what a difference it would make. But the lukewarm Christian doesn't do it. You know what? There'll be another day. Ah, someone else can do it. It's really not that big of a deal. Heaven is real and hell is real too. But to the lukewarm Christian, it doesn't really affect them that very, um, very much. Make ex- excuses for sinful behavior. We call that rationalizing or justifying our sin. Uh, I'll, I'll get it taken care of another time. Uh, they only turn to God when things go bad. They don't give of their wealth. And they go to church for social reasons. They don't want to hear about God or Christ very much, especially when it comes to their sin. I want to hear about all the positive things. You know, we can get into, into the same rope that the world, we always want to hear the fluffy things, the things that make us feel good. You know, that's that's a, a good signal of lukewarmness. Worried about what others might think of them rather than what God thinks of them. And the list could go on, but you know what? The Holy Spirit's going to be gracious to show us tonight where lukewarmness is in our life. Because how it affects you is going to be, might be a little bit different than it affects me. What, what is the, the, what's the symptom of it? You know, friends, the Holy Spirit can show that in our lives. And if we're open to him, he will. He will. So how does this settle in? Ultimately, in Laodicea, they had allowed the world's opinions, their, their culture within that city, uh, to trump or to dilute God's truth. And we find in, in 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 15, we're told that the church is to be the pillar and the ground of truth. It's to uplift it in the city, not to allow the world's opinions to dilute the truth that they are supposed to be upholding. But in that city, that's exactly what had happened. The church was lukewarm. It was a condition that came onto that church by the mixing of, of cold and hot or allowing the, 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 the hot to, to cool off. And so as their, as their obligation, their purpose for being in that city to lift up the truth of God's word, they allowed that world opinion to mix in. Boy, it just, just caused them to cool off. Man, you know what? We don't need to be really that fanatical about Christ. Oh, we really need to go all out for Christ. And so this church was a church that had been diluted by error, had allowed the world's opinions to creep in, and it caused them to be lukewarm. I'm good. I'm good. I don't really need to go that far with God. I don't, I don't want to go there, but I don't need to go that far with God. I'm, I'm just good. I'm, I have Jesus. It's good. And you know what? The lukewarmness within the church of Laodicea caused that church not to affect its culture. The lukewarm church is not effective in its city. It's not effective in its witness. In fact, I think we could go to the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter number 5 and find that the, the, they're like that salt that's lost its savor and it, it is just to be thrown out and trodden under feet of men. And, and Jesus says it here, I, I would rather just spew you out of my mouth because that's, that's what it makes me feel. I, I can't ha- handle this. I can't stand this, uh, this, this attitude that you've allowed into your hearts towards the things of God. 
And so this lukewarm church was very ineffective within the city because it was self-satisfied. We're good. We're good, but it was self-sufficient as well. And this is how it comes. Jesus, Jesus was the one that said, hey, church, this is how this lukewarmness set in. And this is where we as an American church need to really pay attention because did, did your, your eyes kind of light up as you read through this? I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Boy, how descriptive of the American church. How descriptive of, of us as Americans. And when our standard of living, even the poverty line, is so much higher than, than other places in the world, how descriptive of us. We are rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. We have more gadgets than we can, than can dream of, and they're constantly coming out with more and more things to help us in our kitchen. You have an air fryer. You have, you have Mr. You remember when George Foreman and Mr. Foreman's things were all around? There's always a new gadget out to help us. We have everything we can imagine. Everything. And they're coming out with more. I enjoy watching some of those gadget shows and, and, and seeing some of that stuff. And it, it's mind-boggling, all the things that, that come up. We truly in this nation are rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. We have it all. And that's what this, that's what this city was. That's what this church said of themselves. We're, we're sufficient. We're self-sufficient. We have everything that we need. In fact, 35 years ago, we rebuilt this city. We have it all. Rich, increased with goods. The idea of increased with goods is we've, we've enriched ourselves. We've gained this to ourselves. I have made me rich. I am the reason that I have all of this. And as they speak to God, or as God hears them speaking about themselves, they're saying, we're rich and we're increased with goods. Aren't we wonderful, Lord? the spirit of Hosea 12 and verse number 8 when God was writing uh, about Ephraim when they said yet I am become rich I am found I found I have found me out substance in all my labors they shall not find uh, shall find none iniquity in me that were sin what are they saying we've made ourselves rich and if you even go searching for it you're not even going to find iniquity in us we're pretty good that was the spirit of Laodicea they had need of nothing. I'm all good. Beware, beware, beware when you're at the point in your spiritual life when you feel you're all good. And this is not the uh, imploring or implying that we ought, to, we ought to constantly be on this guilt trip. There ought to be confidence between us and our Savior that we are right with him. There can be that. There should be fellowship, as First John talks about. But when we're at this point where I, I'm all good, I don't, no one needs to tell me anything, I'm all good, I'm right, I'm right with God. There's no, no problem here rather than a spirit of Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Lord, would you show me in your word, show me what's going on in my life. Is there, is there as I gather together on this Lord's Day, is there anything that you'd like to show me that is hindering my fellowship from being sweeter with you? And so that was not their perspective at all. Their perspective is I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have needed nothing. But God's perspective was five things. You're wretched. You're very, you're very poor in quality in the sense that your, your spiritual walk with God is not worth much at all. In fact, it's pitiful, it's wretched. And, and this word is used one other time in the Bible over in Romans 7, verse number 24, when Paul himself said to God, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of flesh? And so he says there, he, he announces the Lord, 
I realize my own wretchedness before you. I realize my own poor, uh, poorness and quality to, to overcome temptation, to say no to the flesh and to do the right thing and make the right choices. I feel this wretchedness, and who's going to deliver me from this? Well, God could because he saw it. He was humble about it, but not these folks. They had need of nothing. God says, no, that's not my perspective. You're wretched. You're, you're miserable. You're pitiable. You have absolutely nothing going for you spiritually. You're poor. You're without. Rather than being like the Beatitudes where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, these folks didn't see them that, uh, themselves that way. I'm rich. God says, no, you're actually very poor. The problem is you don't realize it. You're blind. You're not able to see the road ahead. You're not able to even see reality, the reality of where you are. You're blind to it. And at that, you're naked. You're naked. You're walking shamefully. You know what? One of the most shameful things to happen in our day is a believer who is arrogant, full of sin, and is lukewarm and walks into the workplace and says, hey, I'm a good Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And the whole world knows the reality of that situation. That's not a Christian I want to be like. I thought Christians were different. And you know what? In front of the whole world, there's a shamefulness because they're not, they're not living out the reality, which is we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. They're not living out their positional reality and living out practical holiness in front of folks. And, and the world looks on and shakes their head. What a shameful sight. person that declares they're a Christian, yet walks around arrogant, and acting as if they have no need of, of change, no need of growth. What a, what a shameful thing. God says you're, you're, you're actually naked. I, I don't know. I read this and I, I think, wow. This is a lot. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, shameful, naked. That's a lot. I, I think of the illustration of, of King Saul. When Samuel comes to him, he's supposed to be waiting to offer that sacrifice, and Samuel comes to him, and, uh, and he greets Samuel and says, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've obeyed it all. And Samuel says, hold on, what's the bleeding of the sheep? Well, you know, the people. But that, that spirit of this, I, I'm good, I'm good. That was the spirit of Saul. That's what got Saul into trouble so much he did not see his own poorness before the Lord. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Luke 16, verse number 15, he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Listen, you think you have it all settled? You think you're all good? You're justifying yourself before men. You're constantly telling men, I'm, I thank God that I'm not like this, this publican over here that has all sorts of problems. I'm righteous. I tithe. I do all these different things. And they had no need of anything. God says, oh, it's an abomination. Something that's coming home to me more and more is the words of John 15 and verse number 5. When Jesus says, for without me ye can do nothing. The lukewarm believer does not, does not see themselves in need of God. I'm good. And we go through our routine, we come to church, and you know what, friends? It doesn't have to be a person who's young in the faith that's lukewarm. It, I think the great, one of the greatest dangers 
Are you with me here tonight? I think one of the greatest dangers is for us that have been saved a long time. Just kind of lose the heat. We go through the motions. We get weary. We get weary of watching people come and go. You know, I've been, I've been in this church for all these years, and you know, I've been faithful to the Lord, and I've been coming here and attending. And, and praise the Lord for that. But you know what? It is, it is us that can cool off without even knowing it. Do you think Laodicea was a little bit shocked when this letter came? I can guarantee you on their church sign and on their, their website, they did not have the tagline, uh, the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. No. They didn't market themselves as the lukewarm church. That's who they had become, and Jesus announced it to them. Why? Because they were, self, uh, they were self-satisfied and self-sufficient. They thought they had everything. God says, no, you don't have actually anything. And what they should have been saying to the Lord, oh, God, search my heart. Know me. Lord, I need your word to show me what's going on in my life. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth illumination. It helps us understand where we actually are. It is the word of God that is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it goes on in verse number 13 of Hebrews 3 to tell us that neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Lord, I need you to use your eyes to search me and to show me where I've become lukewarm. Lukewarm. Perhaps tonight you just simply need to ask the Lord, Lord, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that I wouldn't notice if I was lukewarm. It, 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 like it came on them, it creeps on, happens over time, happens over miles, happens over weeks, months, years. Lord, I'd like for you to show me if there's any lukewarmness in me, and I'd like for you to identify that that me. I'd like for you to identify the root of that so I can get this corrected and I can be hot for you. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He doesn't just, in any of these letters, he doesn't deal with any of their issues in these churches without saying, here's the way back. So I want us to notice the merciful counsel of the Lord. So we've seen what does lukewarmness look like? Well, we can, we can say a lot. It's, it's just this idea that I'm good. I don't need anything. We went through that list, and there's many more that we could add to that. I don't need anything. I'm, I'm good. So if that's what look, warmness looks like, what is Jesus going to show us that hotness or a vibrant relationship with him looks like? And look at verse number 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Get the picture here tonight. Jesus is not speaking to them. He's not just sending them a telegram and saying, here's, here's my input on, your, uh, on you and where you are in your, your spiritual journey. I counsel thee as a counselor. I come alongside of you as your shepherd. And I'm going to say some things to you that are very important. And if you want to be hot, if you want to be on fire for me, if you want to have a vibrant relationship with me, here is my counsel, here is my advice. Now you have a choice to take it. Jesus gives us that same choice tonight. And here's what he gives counsel. Verse 18, he counsels them to refocus on the eternal. Refocus on the eternal. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fires that thou mayest be rich. And he says buy, uh, obtain. Now notice they were not to go and obtain this. It does not say obtain 
this for yourselves. It says to obtain it from him, to buy it from him. God himself, Jesus himself, is the source of our spiritual vitality. If I'm going to be hot for the Lord, if I'm going to have a relationship with God that is dynamic, it's growing, it's going forward, it's going to come as I spend time with him, as I fellowship in his presence, as I abide in the vine, John chapter 15, he says, buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. He says, I want you to have an eternal perspective. I want you to seek after eternal riches. You've been seeking after the things and the pleasures of this life. You've been putting all your time and investing and getting for yourself uh, riches and enriching yourself. You've been setting all this time in your houses and your land and your jobs and your career. You're setting all this time, but I want you to buy of me. Come to me, and I want you to get eternal riches. I wonder as God looks at us here in America, us here at Grace Baptist Church in America, how much he sees us being overcome with physical riches but not spiritual riches. He says, listen, I want you to buy of me. I want you to buy of me gold that is tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. You're, without this, you're not rich. The only way to have true spiritual riches, eternal riches, is to buy this gold from me. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, where you place your treasure, there will your heart be also. And so he says, I want you to invest your time your talents, your, your riches. I want you to invest it in eternity. Get it off the, the physical and the, the mundane, off these things, and I want you to get it on the, this, on the eternal. I want you to invest in eternity, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All these things that you need will be added unto you. I want you to invest and buy eternal riches, but I want you to seek after eternal righteousness. Look at verse number 18 and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness doth not appear, do not appear. He's insane. You guys, you guys do really well having gold. do really well at having all sorts of fancy clothing in town, but I want you to come to me, and I want you to buy white raiment, pure raiment. Now, what is, what is white raiment in Scripture uh, depict? What's Jesus getting at here? Well, we find that the, it prophesied of Christ that he would robe us in robes of righteousness. Uh, that is a, a picture of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are clothed, we are enshrouded with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ as we believe on him. He says to them, I want you to buy it and buy this with me. Does this mean they're purchasing their, their salvation? No, not at all. Think of 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This righteousness comes to us by faith. It's a positional fact. You and I, tonight, as we place faith in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous before him. I stand redeemed, right? Amen? I stand uh, redeemed. And the Bible tells us in Titus 2 and verse 11, because I stand redeemed, because I've received the grace that brings salvation. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Now notice, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. What's the next word? Righteously. What's he telling his, his followers there in Laodicea to do? Hey, I want you to come to me. I want you 
to it from me and by my strength and with my wherewithal and by my spirit, I want you to have robes of righteousness that reflect your position in Christ, which is righteousness before God, the righteousness of God in him. And that's an amazing thing that you and I can have, we can positionally before God be righteous, be, um, be declared righteous, be justified, but not live it out in public. God says, I don't want that. I want you to focus on having eternal righteousness, or that righteousness that is from me. I want you to live this out in your daily life. Live out the righteousness that you have in Christ. Focus on that. I think there's a verse in uh, 1 Peter, one in verse number 15, that says, Be holy, for I am holy. That wasn't the case in Laodicea. They were focused on living their lives and enjoying the the thrills of life, but not focused on living out their their righteous lives that Christ had given them uh, through faith in him. But they were also to get an eternal perspective. Focus on an eternal perspective. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. There was a medical school located in Laodicea, one of the temples there. They offered a a special eye salve uh, that was known to to heal eye problems, and it was, it was common in the Middle East. And what they needed, and what Jesus said, it was, no, you don't need this eye salve for your physical eyes. You need to anoint your eyes. Notice how he's playing on all of the areas that they thought they were big stuff there in that city. Your gold, your clothing, and your, your, your solution to eye problems. I want, you to take, I want you to think about taking to your spiritual eyes and anointing them with eye salve so you can see. Get back to an eternal perspective. Bible tells us in Colossians 3 and verse number 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. And oh, how we get so distracted and the lukewarm church gets so distracted on the things that are here in the here and now. And oh, how Christ is saying, no, 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 I want you to focus on eternity. I want you to focus on things that really matter. When you think about the fact that Next week, one of us could not be here. Eternity matters. What we do today matters. We sang that song this morning, uh, uh, Death on uh, Chilly, uh, Chilly Waters. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up here. Uh, I'll soon be crossing Death's Chilly Waters, right? And you say, think of that and like, oh, well, that's kind of strange. No, you know, the fact is we don't know. We just don't know. And I don't know if uh, this is my last time to preach a message and if this is your last time to hear a message, but the fact is, eternity matters. And what we do for God today, it actually matters. And what we do for God tomorrow actually matters. And the, the spiritual treasure, the eternal riches that I lay up, it matters. And the righteousness I live out in my daily life, it matters. And the, the perspective I have on the things of God and eternal things, it matters. It really matters. Jesus says, if you're going to become hot there's going to have to be a refocusing on the eternal we get so distracted with earthly things don't we houses cars deals shopping sports events entertainment my schedule my plans my ambition my dreams we get so distracted things that do not matter in eternity there's a balance to that. God says he's given us all things richly to enjoy, but you know it's a lot easier to enjoy and a lot better to enjoy those things in the pleasure of God when God hands them to us rather than when that's our consuming focus. That's not how Laodicea was dealing with it. They were seeking after these things. It had become their focus. Jesus says, hey, if you're going to get back to being hot, 
from where you ought to get back to where you ought to be. There's going to have to be a refocusing on what is eternal, but there's also going to have to be a rekindling of your zeal. In verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Jesus is not doing this to inflict pain on the Laodiceans. He wants them for relationship. You and I were created for relationship. Jesus wants to know you this week. He wants to know me this week. He wants to hear our voices this week. He wants us to walk with him as our shepherd. He says, I I love you, and so I do rebuke you, and I do chasten you. I do get after you, and now here's what I need you to do. I want you to be zealous and repent, and I want you to think about this word zealous for a moment. It's to be marked by active interest. Active interest, not passive interest, but active interest, passion and enthusiasm for something, often for a cause or for faith. So this matter of being zealous, Jesus himself, he says, I want you to be on fire. I want you to be enthusiastic. I don't want you to, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Well, we got through that part of the service. The singing's over. I can finally sit down, and now we'll get through the message, and then, boy, this will be over soon. We can go home and do what else. No, Jesus says, I want you to be enthusiastic about this. You know what? You might think it's sometimes a little strange, you know, uh, ask for a response or ask you to to be involved or, you know, kind of prod you for that. You know why? Because Jesus wants us to be enthusiastic about these things. He wants us to sing enthusiastically. Part of the reason I I wanted to take time this evening to talk about praising him is just this, this fact. Lukewarm believers don't praise Jesus well. They get in a a congregation like this and we just kind of go through the motions. We read the screen. Follow the bouncing ball, right? (laughs) Just read the screen along. No, no, this is a matter of praising God, being joyful in Him. He wants them to be zealous about praising Him in word. He wants you to be enthusiastic tomorrow about giving praise to God. The same testimony you gave here tonight, could you not give someone in your workplace tomorrow? This is what Jesus means to me. Boy, I'd I'd love for him to mean this for you. I know he can. He changed my life. He wants us to be zealous about growing in our knowledge of Christ. He wants to be zealous about overcoming sin and having victory in sin by his grace. He wants us to be zealous about sharing our faith and sharing Jesus Christ and lifting him up. He wants us to be zealous about serving. How easy is it for you that have served many years to get, well, you know, this serving is is a burden. He wants us to be zealous in it. He wants us to to have the spirit of the song, there is joy in serving Jesus. I think about some of those in in the book of, I believe it's Colossians, that that came to the point of absolute sickness because they were serving uh, serving Christ. Over in Romans, the last chapter, chapter 16, uh, Paul talks about those that were addicted to the ministry. They were zealous for the ministry. I got to do this. I, I must do this. This is my greatest joy. And boy, there's times in, when lukewarmness begins to set in. It's not a joy to serve Jesus. Well, i got to just do this. This is what's required of me. No, this is the greatest thing in the world to be able to serve Jesus. It's the greatest thing in the world to be able to be a part of what God is doing at Grace Baptist Church. It is the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest thing that's happening in Kettering. It's the greatest thing. And yet, sometimes we can get in this mindset, ah, boy, i just got to continue on, keep plodding on. No, 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 no. Jesus says, be zealous. Be zealous about attaching yourself to a new believer and being a Barnabas. You know, in the, in the first church, I don't know that they had a discipleship program set up. 
Have you thought about that? I, I don't know that when people came to visit, they, they got visit the church that they got out a connection card and signed, I would like to be discipled. You know how discipleship happened? Guys like Paul and Barnabas attaching themselves to another, another guy and saying, hey, would you meet me for coffee this week? I'd like to talk to you about what God's doing in my life. If I could pray with you about anything, that'd be, that'd be a great honor of mine. One of the ladies saying, hey, to the, one of the younger ladies, you know, you know I, I've been burdened about you. Is there anything I can pray about? Let's, let's go out for, or come over to my house and we'll, we'll uh, bake some cookies or something. We'll, we'll do something together. And where they attach themselves to people, sometimes we get this mindset that church is just this, this organization. It, it all has to be organized. And we have, uh, there, there is a time for all of that, but there's also a time for believers being zealous and saying, you know what, I see, I see someone that I could, I could invest in. I could invite over to the house. I could uh, share a meal with, and I could find out what God is doing in their life, and I could help them along in their spiritual journey. You know, I have no doubt that God, at different times, places another believer, another, maybe even a new believer on your heart. You say, well, what, what about these new believers that get saved, and we see them get baptized? What about them? How are they going to be discipled? Well, I, ha I have a question. A on-fire church is going to be, it's going to be like this. Hey, can you come over to my house? Can I take you out to dinner? Rather than letting him walk in the door and back out the door and back in the door and back out the door, untouched by more vibrant believers or more mature believers. How, how did Barnabas do it? How did Paul get discipled? The great apostle Paul. Barnabas just came alongside and encouraged. You know, in our in, in our own getting into our zones and our routine, sometimes we miss some really great opportunities to grow, grow forward in our relationship with Christ. A, zealous, a zealousness that Jesus is saying, uh, be zealous about attaching yourself to new believers and, and, and helping them along. What if, just a question tonight, for self-evaluation for all of us, but what if every believer at Grace Baptist Church had the same level of zeal that you do for the Lord Jesus Christ? And with that in mind, then what would Grace Baptist Church be like? And so I ask us that tonight because Jesus is telling me and he's telling you in command to make a choice to be zealous. This is a choice that you and I have to make. It doesn't passively come upon us. God does not just bop us over the head and now all of a sudden you're zealous. No, that's not the way this matter works. He says be zealous, but this zealousness comes from, this passion, this enthusiasm comes from a realizing I haven't been how I ought to be. And he says here, um, be zealous, therefore, and repent, repent. And this is the same, the same active choice that they had to make. It is a command to them. He's saying, I want you to make the choice to, to repent about where you've been, where you've not been, the, the lukewarmness that has uh, crept into your life, and I want you to return to a zealousness. And I wonder tonight, what's robbed you of that zeal? What's brought you to that point that's uh, taking you away from being hot? What's, uh, what's that? Uh, what, is, what has drained you of your zeal for Christ? Let's repent and let's get back to uh, loving Christ and being enthusiastic for him and looking out for those different opportunities to serve him to the best of our abilities. He says, I want you to rekindle your zeal, but verse 20 through 21, I want you to respond with opening up your heart. I want you to respond with opening up your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if many man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with 
me. I'm giving you the opportunity right now to open up the door and let me back in. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus is presenting himself as standing on the outside of the church. Now this is in picture, this is a, a great illustration that Jesus is giving. But he's presenting himself as standing on the outside of his church and not being allowed in. They, uh, Jesus had not made the choice to stand out there. They had made the choice to not let him in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. But here's the thing. saying there is a need for a man to hear my voice and respond. You know, lukewarmness continues in our lives when we yeah, there's a knocking going on, but I'll deal with it another time. Uh, it, sounds like, it sounds like the voice of Jesus, but you know what? It, it's not important. This is important today. Well, if, if I did that, it would disrupt the routine. I can just imagine as they heard this letter written and uh, as Jesus was saying, hey, I'm, I'm standing at the door and knocking. I, I can just imagine as Jesus, uh, this picture in their head, that he's standing at the door and knocking, someone would have to get up from the congregation and go let him in. Think about that. Well, that would disrupt. That might be a little bit awkward, you know. It, it, it might show that I have a need for him if I, if I stand up and walk across the congregation and, and let him in. Sometimes Jesus is knocking right down at an altar where he wants us to, to bow before him. And I know sometimes preachers, we, we get on a kick, you know, invitations and so forth, but I get really, really concerned when we are not willing to bow before the Lord and, and, and open up the door and let him in. And so this church was going to have to let them in. They were going to have to make this choice. I, I will come in, but you have to open the door. And in every one of our hearts tonight, Jesus is knocking, I want a closer relationship with you. I, I want to be closer to you. I want to sup with you. I want to fellowship with you, but you have to let me in. You have to let me in on your Monday. You have to let me in on your Tuesday. You have to let me in. When everything else in life is crushing me out, you have to make the choice to let me in. No one can make that choice for you. Did you see that? And we'll sup with him and he with me. It's an interactive fellowship. It's not one-sided. It's two-sided. Uh, one-sided conversations are a little difficult, aren't they? That's not what Jesus is inviting you to. He's inviting you to a dinner conversation where it goes both ways. He wants to hear your heart and he wants to share his heart. What a savior. And remember, he's talking to the church. There was another church that didn't have anything good said to them. This, this church, nothing good being said to them. There is nothing in their, in their operations that Jesus says, you know, I can commend that. No, Jesus had nothing good to say. But to this church, he's saying, I want, I want you. I want to fellowship with you. I want, to, I want to be near you. I want to be close with you. We were created for that fellowship. And he says, I want to have this with you. And to him that overcomes, notice what he says. I'm going to actually allow you to sit with me where I am. I'm going to allow you to be in my presence. I was reading that, and it comes to mind that there were a few disciples that were asking about that, about that seat about closeness to, the, to, the, to Jesus when he's in his glory, when he's in his rulership. And you remember what Jesus said? No, that's, that's not mine to give. That's up, up to the Father. Do you know what God says here? 
He's saying, those that overcome, those, are, those that open up the door, let me in, maintain that, that close fellowship with me, I'm going to let them be right near me. But what a picture. What a picture of what God wants for our life. And it says here, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So you and I, with spiritual ears, are to open up our ears and our heart and say, Lord, I've heard your message tonight. I've heard it. And I'm going to allow you to speak to me. I'm going to take this personally. And Lord, we either say to him, I, I do confess I have grown lukewarm. I've, I've let other prior things become the priority over you. I'm just like that water. It's cool off over time. I'm a Christian. I don't want to be cold, but I'm certainly not hot. I confess that to you tonight. Or you might say to the Lord, Lord, I, I, I feel a little bit like the Laodiceans in that I'm not actually sure if I'm lukewarm. In either case, we need to seek the Lord. Because this letter is written to us at Grace Baptist Church. If he were to have written in there and put it in Scripture, it would have just as, been just as uh, impactful and right in the church of of Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, the angel of the church, the Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, these things right. If he would have put it in there in, in red and white, it would have been just as, as meaningful and impactful. He, he wrote it to a church just like us, and he wants us to receive it. And so I believe it would be really good to take time with the Lord tonight before we leave, take some moments. So as we bow before him, and I would encourage us to kneel before him in, there in our seats, I'm going to do the same. And perhaps you'd pray it in this way. Lord, I have grown lukewarm, and I know it. You've identified it. And I repent of this. I want to be zealous for you. And I intend, by your grace, to make marked steps in increasing zeal this week by your grace. Number two, Lord, I honestly don't know if I've grown lukewarm, but I want you to show me where I am. I want you to give me a spiritual temperature readout tonight. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.